So I am uh, actually flying out to Dallas this afternoon. I, uh, I got my uh, e-ticket confirmation in the mail or email um, earlier this week, and uh, there was a big red button in the email that said, um, reserve your seat, reserve your seat. And so I clicked on the button, and there were like like six seats left in the whole plane. I thought, so I, I picked one, you know, is it all the, they're all in the back, and I, and I clicked on it, and then it sent me to another screen. It said, do you want to order a meal or do anything like that? And uh, no, no, and I, so I clicked through that and hit continue, and it takes me back to my original reservation, and there was a uh, $58 additional charge now on my e-ticket, and we're flying cheapo air, and I'm like, that's really cheap, like your, I guess your ticket doesn't include a seat anymore, <laughs> uh, and then I find out, no, it's just an added option, and so I'm like, well, I'm trying to call customer service to say, I don't want to pay, you know, I just want whatever seat you give me. And um, I get on the phone and I call and the, and the voice comes on and says, um, call traffic is heavy. The average wait time right now is six hours. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought, six hours. So I hang up and I, so I click, there's an there's a, uh, online chat option and I click on the online chat option and the message pops up and it says, uh, your average wait for somebody online is 122 minutes. I'm like, there's no way I'm waiting for that long, right? I don't like waiting like at the amusement park for my favorite ride or like uh, at Rudy's Tacos at lunchtime for my Sancho, you know? But I'll, I will wait with a certain degree of like anticipation and joy, you know, because I know it's going to be worth it. But I'm not waiting two hours or six hours for a customer service rep from Cheap Air. So if I don't come back next week, uh, <laughs> you might want to check the police log or file a report or something. Uh, uh, how good I am at waiting obviously depends on what it is that I'm waiting for. And we are in this season of Advent right now, right? And it's this season that's set aside for waiting, waiting with expectant hope, right? And expected joy to come. But I wonder sometimes how many of us are actually doing that. Instead, I think, you know, it's a season for so many of us, instead of waiting, it's a season of rushing, right? It's a season of hurry, of, of endurance, and some, for some of us, it's even a season of dread, I think. The, the calendar that's already full gets, gets more packed. And, uh, and I guess the, the, it seems to me the why of Christmas kind of gets buried or gets lost or distorted underneath the what and the how details of Christmas and of, of just doing life around this time. So in this Advent series called Simply Why?, just as Eric said, we want to just take some time and just create some space here to remember why it is that God even sent his son Jesus to us at Christmas. Why did Jesus come to earth that first Christmas? Why does it still matter for us today? Why is Jesus' birth worth our greatest celebrations? And why is it worth waiting with great hope for Jesus' return? 2,000 years ago, God sent an angel to people a lot like us, people who weren't very good at waiting. Of course, they'd been waiting for like hundreds of years for God to fulfill this promise that he'd made to their ancestors. And the angel tells them, guess what? The wait is over. And he announces the arrival of God's son. And with the birth announcement, we see some great answers to our questions about why Jesus came and why he's such a big deal. And we find this in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. Let me read that for you this morning. It's on the screen. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. 
An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. For all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. It's an amazing picture. Amazing story. And the angel gives us at least four really good reasons that God sent Jesus into our world. Jesus brings peace. He reveals the glory of his Father. He brings us good news that will cause us great joy. And he comes to be our Savior. And this morning we want to spend just a few minutes remembering that Jesus came to be our Savior. And to remember why this is such good news and why it should cause great joy for all the people. And it's very fundamental. right? But as Dave had mentioned a couple weeks ago, good coaches come back to the fundamentals over and over again. It's very important. We're reminded earlier in another scene that, that when an angel visited Joseph, right, who was engaged to Mary, who he found was, found out was pregnant, and the angel says, don't freak out, Joseph, right? Hang in there, right? Stay with Mary. And when Jesus is born, when the, when the boy is born, I want you to name him Jesus because he will save his people. The name Jesus actually means the Lord saves. And Jesus himself tells us that this was his purpose for coming, his entire reason for coming. He tells us this. It was actually at a dinner convert, a dinner party with Zacchaeus, and Luke recorded the conversation. And Jesus says this. He says, for the Son of Man, that's what Jesus liked to call himself, says the Son of Man, for I came to seek and to save the lost. Now you see this everywhere, right? From church signs to bathroom stalls to t-shirts and graffiti, right? Jesus saves it's everywhere we see this. It's what a Savior does. Jesus finds those who are lost, those who are in trouble, and he rescues them from Satan and from sin and from death, from hell. Right? He comes and leads us away from death and destruction. Now, who are them? Who are these lost? Right? It's anyone who has ever done anything that they've wanted to do instead of what God wanted them to do or anyone who's decided simply that they just didn't want to do what God wants them to do. That's what sin is. And at one time or another, everyone has done this. It's a universal problem. In fact, God gave Solomon this very truth and this wisdom. He's one of the wisest men that ever lives, that ever lived. And Solomon said this. He said, indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. And hundreds of years later, Paul comes along. No one knew more about sin and and being saved than Paul, who was so legalistic and righteous, right? And Paul says this, he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. That's you. That's me. That's everyone throughout history. Now, this, this is not news. I don't think for anybody. It's definitely not good news either. 
But wait. Because it gets worse. Just telling you. Jesus says you deserve, actually, to be thrown into hell as a consequence of your sin. Jesus says that. No one in the Bible said more about the consequence of sin as the ultimate consequence being hell. And no one described more vividly the punishment for sin and and what hell involved than Jesus himself. And it's really kind of troubling stuff. Very troubling. The margin of error is so small. Jesus said anyone who's, who's even had a lustful thought or anyone who has so much has done something as minor as saying to their brother, you're a fool, is deserving, is guilty, and deserves to go to hell. I'm so glad he didn't say anyone who says their son is a fool, right? Whew. <laughs> the, the margin for error here. There is no margin for error here. I was thinking about this. It's like, it's like Roger Federer, probably the greatest tennis player ever in the history of the game. And uh, Wimbledon, Wimbledon officials come to him, and they tell him that either he goes or his shoes go. Because he had orange on the soles of his shoes. The bottom of his feet had had orange on them, and it violated the all-white dress code of Wimbledon. And so he has to go. It only takes one little lie, right? One misspoken word out of anger, one casual look, one impure thought, and our souls have a little black spot on them. And Jesus says, either it goes or you go. And where you go is to hell. And actually the word that Jesus used for hell was was Gehenna. It's the name of a valley south of Jerusalem where in the prophet Jeremiah's days, Parents would bring their young children, their sons and their daughters, would throw them in the fire where they would be burned as a sacrifice in worship for other gods. Jesus also compared hell to being thrown outside into the darkness where you're surrounded by weeping and gnashing of teeth like the sound of dogs in dogfights fighting for their very survival. And in a disturbing story that Jesus told about the rich man and Lazarus, we discover that hell has no exit. This is not good news. But wait. Wait for it. Most of you don't need the Bible to tell you that you are sinful. As As author Max Licato points out, sin creates enormous stress on our bodies and on our minds. Guilt replaces peace. Doubt and shame replace confidence. Anger overcomes our self-control. We lash out at others because our egos are bruised or they're hungry or they're hurting. We run and hide from others and we hide from God. Worry, confusion, discouragement, they kind of lurk in the dark. You recognize any of these? These things paralyze us and we start to become totally focused on ourselves and on our own condition. And that's what Martin Luther says is actually, that's what sin is. It's the heart turned inward on itself. And the prophet Isaiah tells us is this not only, this inward focus not only keeps us from seeing God, but it separates us from him. Isaiah says this, he says, Your iniquities... Your immoral behaviors, your sin, have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. That is not good news. We need a Savior. 
Because if the Old Testament teaches us anything, it's that on our own, we can't possibly bridge this separation. We can't possibly do enough to earn God's forgiveness. You can't forgive your own sin against God. You can't do enough to earn that forgiveness. What's more, you're not even equipped to, to battle against your sin, let alone deal with the catastrophic consequences it creates in this life and the next. A lot of the time, we can't even do what we know God wants us to do, even if we want to do it. Paul says this so beautifully. Romans 7, he says, this is from the message. It says, it happens so regularly, it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is right there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands. But it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins me in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? Anybody ever feel that way? I know I have. Christmas is time to wait. Wait, because the Old Testament also teaches us about a God who has a patient, long-suffering love for his people. The God who loved the world so much, right, he sends this angel to answer this very question Paul asks. And he says, behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Today there has been, been born for you a Savior who is Jesus the Lord. Why did God send Jesus? It's so basic, right? But it's such good for, so good for us to remember, right? Because he's the solution to our biggest problem. He saves us from sin. He saves us from the devil. He saves us from the pit of hell. This is the most simple explanation for why Jesus came. He saves us from something bad. Something really, really bad. And this is really, really good news, isn't it? I mean, this is worth celebrating, right? It's a huge relief to know this truth. It gives us freedom from the fear of death. And it brings us great comfort and hope in the time of death. But what about right now? I mean, being saved from something that's, that's going to happen in the future, that was supposed to happen in the future because of something I did, that's really awesome. It is. But how does that cause great joy for me in my life right now? Perhaps when I need it the most. I was thinking about this question. I was remembering one night when I was working for KWWL. It was a summer, and I was a sports guy, but we were a little slow, and so I decided I want to learn how to produce. I want to learn how to produce newscasts, which is you work with the reporters, you write a lot of the scripts, you order the stories, how they're going to appear in the, in the show during the night. You time the show to make sure that, that you get started and end on time, and, uh, and it's a great job. It's a lot of fun. Um, and one particular night... Uh, there was some historic flooding happening on the Cedar River. Imagine that. never happens, right? <laughs> and so uh, we decided we were going to have uh, five reporters do live shots and work our way down the river from like Charles City to Waverly, Cedar Falls, Waterloo. You kind of get the idea. Anytime you did live shots... It was a lot more work, and it was you know you were things were kind of up in the air, so you had to really be prepared. Um, took a lot more, uh, uh, just a lot more preparation and work. It was hectic, and we had five of these live shots planned. And so I walk into the director's booth, and it's like one minute before we hit the air. 
And uh, the director says to me, where's Tammy? Meaning Tammy Weinseck, who was our lead reporter at the time. And I thought he was joking. And I said, well, she's in Charles City. I mean, I gave you the scripts. She's our first story. Didn't you read the scripts? And with more than just a little stress in his voice, he says to me, no, what are the coordinates? Coordinates? I'm like, what what are you talking? I'd produced a number of newscasts, and I'd done some live shots before, but I'd never produced a newscast where a live shot was originating from a satellite truck. I had no idea that he needed to have some coordinates to know where to turn our satellite to so we could get a picture of Tammy on the river. And now the music is playing, and Ron Steele is introducing our first story and reading the first story, and, um, and, and he's expecting Tammy to show up, and there's no Tammy. <laughs> there's not going to be a Tammy. <laughs> And the director is, is like, you know, stressing out. He's like, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And I look up and there's a wall of monitors there in front of me. And the first person I see is Linda Hudwalker. And Linda comes to this church. I don't know if she's here, but she probably remembers this. Probably still hasn't forgiven me. And I look up and I say, go to Linda. And I push the button and tell Ron, go to Linda. And so Ron, pro that he is, covers. I said, we've got some technical difficulties. We're going to go to Linda Hudwalker, does the intro and reads the intro. And he throws it to Linda and we see Linda and it's like, Whew, sigh of relief, right? Well, so Linda does her intro and reads her story. And just as she's finishing, Barney in the back, who's our tape operator, says, uh, where's Linda's video? We had three tape machines in the back. So you could load up three stories at a time. And uh, guess what? Uh, Linda was story number four. <laughs> so her story, not loaded up. So there Linda stands after, repeat, after her intro. You know that awkward stand, sometimes you see it, right? That's, and she's waiting for a story that is never going to come on the air. And uh, down go the dominoes, one by one. And the people are sort of running in and out of the booth, and on and on it goes. And finally, boom goes the dynamite, right? I mean, it's like it's just exploded. And we've gone six minutes into the newscast. Not a single report has been made on the air. That's a, that's a lifetime, right? When we finally just throw to a commercial and everyone's staring at me, you know, like, and, and I'm, I just wanted to slide out of my chair and just walk out the door and never be seen again. My one little mistake, you know, one little oversight had just kind of ruined this whole newscast, ruined all this work all these people had put in. And there was nothing I could do to fix it. Forget about saving the show. I, I needed a savior, right? I, right now. And the GM calls a meeting right after the right after the newscast in the studio. Had never happened ever when I was there. I don't think it ever happened again while I was there. And his first words he says is, "That was the worst newscast in the history of KWWL." <laughs> Nobody argued. It's just boom. And uh, and now I know I'm going to be fired, right? And he walks over and he says, "And it's never going to happen again." And he puts his arm around me, and I'm like. <laughs> he says, you know why? He says, because I believe in Jeff. Because I believe he's going to learn from this mistake. Because I am for Jeff, and I'm for the success of this team. And he's going to produce the 10 o'clock, and it's going to be a great show. See, this is the other thing our Savior does for us, right? Jesus came not to condemn us. Not just to be with us in order to save us from something really bad that's going to happen in the future because we messed up. Jesus also comes and he puts his arm around us. 
And he says, God is for you. He says, I am for you. I'm here with you and for you today. And it's right there in the angel's announcement. He says, today, in the city of David, a Savior is born for you. God's not only with us, but he sends Jesus to show that he's for us and to save us for something really, really good. And I love what he saves us for. It's one of my favorite promises in the Bible. Jesus' friend John actually captures this idea. He was so enamored with it that he included Jesus' own words about this in his biography of Jesus. It's found in John 10, verses 9 and 10. He says, listen, I am the door, Jesus says. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they may have life and have it abundantly. I came to save them for life. This picture that Jesus is painting is actually one of sheep being protected by their shepherd. And Jesus is like the good shepherd who lays down across the entrance to the gate. He's like the gate protecting the sheep from the thief from the the lions and the wolves and the bears who try to break in and steal or kill or destroy those sheep. And, And he leads them in and out of the pasture by calling to them gently. He knows their name. And the sheep, they know his voice and they follow him. And those who are who are too weak, he carries them in and out of that pasture. And those who get lost, Jesus goes and he finds them and he brings them back into that pasture. We get a great picture of what that pasture actually looks like, this life in the book of Psalms. Psalm 1611 actually says, uh, you will make known the path of life. You, you will make known to me what this pasture looks like, right? And you'll take me there. It says, in your presence, in that, in that pasture, in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. Joy and pleasures. This is starting to sound like some good news, right? That will cause great joy. And Jesus didn't just say that he came to save people for this abundant life, but he lived it and he was constantly opening the door to it for other people. He'd ask people all the time, what do you want me to do for you? Right? And he would invite them to trust him and to follow him as him, as he would lead them into this life, into this joy and this pleasure. That sounds like something worth waiting for. What do you want Jesus to do for you today? Have you asked him? Are you listening to his voice? You know, he knows you by name and he's calling you by name. Will you follow him and will you trust him as you wait in anticipation and joy? Or has a thief broken in and stolen or killed or destroyed that joy. I was having lunch with a friend as I was preparing uh, this teaching, and he was struggling because the joy in his marriage has been uh, has been killed a while back, a couple of years ago, actually. In fact, uh, it was because of some harsh words that he had spoken to his wife out of anger in a time of, of fear. And now his hope was actually being stolen. Uh, he didn't make any excuses at all. Uh, he knew that what he had said was wrong. And of course, hearing the story, I was like, yeah, that wasn't good, but I can understand how that slipped out, right? But he wasn't making excuses. He'd apologized. 
He'd asked for forgiveness. He had been making some changes, trying to deal with his anger. He'd even been seeing a counselor. He was doing everything he could to make it right, but he was still struggling to overcome that anger and that fear and the lack of forgiveness from his wife. And it was destroying the hope that he'd ever have joy in his marriage or a fulfilling marriage again or whether his marriage would even survive. But not only that, but it was also destroying the hope and joy in other areas of his life. He was miserable at his work because he couldn't concentrate or focus because he was so worried about this situation. It was destroying the joy he had in raising his kids because he kept always thinking about this mistake he'd made several years ago. He needs a Savior. And I reminded him as we talked, that he has one, right? He knows this, but he needed to be reminded. He has a Savior who's forgiven him, even if his wife hasn't. And that forgiveness frees him from guilt and shame over the past, even if his wife doesn't. And that grace can give him the strength to keep loving his wife, even if he doesn't get the desired response right now. And it can free him to enjoy his work and his life's purpose. Right? Grace gives him strength. He doesn't have to be miserable or guilty for his stupidity from years ago. You know, I think even if there wasn't a heaven and hell, and there is, I'm pretty sure the good news that, that we don't have to carry that guilt around for past mistakes, right? wouldn't that be worth it? Wouldn't that cause great joy in our lives? My friend texted me later this week after our conversation, and he just said, you know what? He says, as I've thought about what we talked about, I've experienced a small uh, spiritual awakening. I'm in a much better place. I think that's what happens when we remember and take time to remember why Jesus came 2,000 years ago, why it still matters for us today. When we can't find forgiveness from loved ones, we can find it in Jesus. We can find it in his arms, find the strength to move on. Right after I met with him, I went and actually I met with a woman who was uh, saying goodbye to her husband of 56 years. He was breathing his last breaths of life as we were meeting and praying together. She wanted more than anything to have her husband back. She was heartbroken. But she was also hopeful because she has a Savior. He'd been sick for a long, long time. But because he has a Savior, and because she and he both know this Savior, she had no fear of him dying. In fact, she knew that his body was finally going to be at rest. And she could trust Jesus for that. And she found comfort and hope as she was grieving. Because he has a Savior. And she finds comfort and hope because she has a Savior, right? Who's with her, present with her in that grief, in that moment, with his promises. I leave from there, I go to the rec center, and I'm visiting with a mom who comes to me and says, will you pray for my daughter? She's making some some decisions right now that are threatening to destroy her life. Her daughter needs a Savior who reminds her of the purpose that he's given her in her life, of the gifts that he's poured into her life, right? of the meaning that she can discover in life, a life lived with him using those gifts. And mom needs a savior as well, right? To protect her from the despair as she watches her daughter make these decisions. And to protect her from hurt and and growing into bitterness and resentment because she's been hurt by some of these decisions. And then I'm with another mom the next morning, right? Who's waiting. her, Her oldest has been given a diagnosis of cancer. She's waiting for this call for results from a CAT scan 
hoping for good news, and she gets good news, right? It's, it's a great moment, and she's emotional, and it's understandable. And she just shares with me, she goes, I didn't even realize the weight of what we'd been walking through over the last few weeks. I think it's because Jesus was there helping carry them, helping give them some hope that regardless of what the outcomes were going to be, He would be with them, He would walk with them through this. right? Because she knows she has a Savior. I look around this room, there's tons of people in situations where you need a Savior. I know that I wrestle constantly with trying to please people and win approval. And it can be disabling, right? It just sucks the energy and confidence and joy out of life. I constantly need to turn to a Savior, right? Whose unconditional love and acceptance frees me from the expectations of others. His perfect love drives out the fear of disappointing others or of failing. See, our Savior not only comes to be with us, but He comes to be for us. He not only saves us from sin and hell, right? But He saves us for an abundant life. And today, Jesus says, I am here for you. One last thing. I was struck when I did a word search on the word Savior. How many times the word appeared next to another word in the Bible? That word was rock. You see it in 2 Samuel 22:47. Exalted be my God, the rock, my Savior. Isaiah 17.10, you have forgotten God, your Savior. You have not remembered the rock, your fortress. Psalm 89.26, he will call out to me, you are my Father, my God, the rock, my Savior. Psalm 18, Psalm 27, Psalm 42, Deuteronomy 32, over and over again, you see this message, that when you stand on the rock, you discover the joy of his salvation. Dave has been encouraging us for a long time now, since June. Right, Our Savior is the rock, and He helps us to know how to stand on the rock. He tells us that everyone who hears His words and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on what? On the rock. And when the rains come down, and the streams rise, and the wind blow against this house, the house does not fall. Because it has as its foundation the rock, our Savior. And He wants to show you the path to abundant life. Today, a Savior has been born for you. He saves you from something really bad and for something really, really good. This is the good news that causes great joy for all who will listen to Him and all who will put His words into practice. Let's pray. Father, I think that for many people in this room, they might know these simple truths, but how easy it is to forget them. Lies, uh, different mixed messages, other things come in and distort these, these truths and they create doubt and confusion. Um, fear sneaks in. God, clear all that away this morning. Clear it all away and help us to remember the simple truth, Lord, that you came to save us, to be our Savior. And it has great worth, not just for the next life, but for our lives right here and right now. And Lord, if there are people in this room right now who have who've never asked you to be their Savior, I ask that you would just uh, call to them, that they would, they would hear you calling their name, and that they would just step across that line of faith, and they would, they would say, Lord, will you be my Savior?
that you would meet them in that moment and you would show them the path to abundant life. It's in your name we pray. Amen.